Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. When we're thinking about selecting, and I use the word selecting, not hiring, when we are selecting new people into our organization, we are selecting them in for some type of, of box. We've, we've orchestrated these ideals around job descriptions, and we find a person who is ideally the best match based on a set of characteristics or education or experience to place them into this box, and we have parameters on what we expect them to do. Why don't we flip that on its head and select people for their passions, for their strengths, for their abilities, and build roles and opportunities around them? Because what you will find is you need far less human beings to get work done when you take the approach of selecting people for what they bring and building a role around them versus selecting them for a role and trying to fit a round peg into a square hole many times. Lisa Sterling is a forward-thinking, engaging, and dynamic leader who has been disrupting the business and HR landscape to create cultural and organizational excellence. As a previous chief people officer and HCM product expert, Lisa is recognized throughout the HR world for leading one of the most radical cultural transformations for a rapidly expanding high-tech organization. Lisa is an HR tech enthusiast, Forbes contributor, and thought leader who has held significant roles at Ceridian, Mercer, Ultimate Software, and IBM. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Hacking HR podcast episode. And I am with my friend, one of the most amazing HR leaders that I know, inspiring, uh, humble, amazing Lisa Sterling. How are you, my dear? Well, I'm <laughs> blushing now. Thank you. <laughs> um, I am doing exceptionally well. I, um, I, I'm very, very, um, I have a very high level of gratitude for how just well things have been going. And I know that's obviously not the case for millions of people. Um, so I, I take that with a, a grain of salt, but um, definitely very, very excited about where I think we are headed. And I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about some wonderful things today. Absolutely. And I know we were chatting offline about what one of the things that is exciting you about all that's going on. And that is that you're doing the things that you love, that you're doing the things that you're passionate about. 99.9% of your time, based on what you told me before, is, is invested now in things that you love. Mm-hmm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just ask you a question right now, pushing the envelope a little bit. We, we think about work and most people don't find that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it should, it's such an easy answer to the question of how can we increase engagement? How can we provide a better human experience at work? How can we get the real and deepest talents and creative potential from people at work? And that is by allowing them to do 
most of the time what they love doing. What has prevented us in the workplace from, from achieving that level of passion for work and how can we make it happen? Yeah, well, I have to start by saying, um, so my, my, um, my father-in-law, God rest his soul, used to always say to me, like, they call it work for a reason. Work is not supposed to be fun. It's a means to an end. And when I, when I would tell him how passionate I was about what I was working on or what I was doing, he thought I was very weird. <laughs> He's like, I don't understand how you can come home and say work is fun. Like work is work. That's why they call it work. Yeah, and you know what? Here's the deal. Um, the organizations where I have spent um, the majority of my time doing what I'm passionate about, what I'm exceptionally good at, um, and, and what makes me leap out of bed in the morning are the organizations that have truly started to understand and transform their, their companies away from some of the stodgy, outdated processes and experiences that we have. I mean, let's, let's just, let's pick on the, the easiest entry point into this is when we're thinking about selecting, and I use the word selecting, not hiring, when we are selecting new people into our organization, we are selecting them in for some type of, of box. We've, we've orchestrated these ideals around job descriptions and we find a person who is ideally the best match based on a set of characteristics or education or experience to place them into this box and we have parameters on what we expect them to do. Why don't we flip that on its head and select people for their passions, for their strengths, for their abilities and build roles and opportunities around them? Because what you will find is you need far less human beings to get work done when you take the approach of selecting people for what they bring and building a role around them versus selecting them for a role and trying to fit a round peg into a square hole many times. Yeah. And, and I think that's you know, when people ask me about opportunities, when I was hiring folks for roles at Ceridian, um, you know, we didn't focus so much on the job description. We, we built more of this concept of like, hey, here's a day in the life. Here's a, an overview of the types of work that you'll be involved in, the types of people you'll be engaging with. But we, we didn't get so focused on trying to fit people into a job, but rather building capabilities and, and roles consistently and, and, and integratedly together. That, that is that is powerful and uh, you know i there's one one of my favorite books in the world is flow by mihai shiks mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and of course you know you are in flow what people call being in the zone when mm -hmm. you are so committed engaged and energized with the task or project that you have at hand that you basically forget that the world is moving around around you and you are just focused on that and mm -hmm. i wish we could reach or achieve that level of flow at work but of course, if you are bringing people to fit into a box, and maybe at the very beginning of their career in that company or, or their journey, they are learning how to do things, but people now learn way faster than ever before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the box continues to be the same for years. And those people learn in a couple of months how to do the work. You know, after a couple of months, six months, whatever it is, after they, they went over the learning curve, they get to a point of disengagement because work yeah. is not changing. The box is the same. So what's, what would be your message for, for business leaders and HR leaders to think, to think about this differently? How can they tactically design something that is not just that uh, uh, you know, box that is stiff and remains the same, but a box that continues to, you know, you hire somebody, that person has to do something, but you can give that freedom, if you will, for people to continue to have flow and engagement and energy around the 
their responsibilities, if you will? Well, I, you know, it, it comes down, in my opinion, um, it comes down to something very simple, which is we have to start focusing more on human potentiality than we do on human performance. Mm -hmm. And I'm not in any way, shape, or form suggesting that measurement of performance is not important or relevant. But what, what you will find if, if, if you go out and do the research, probably millions of articles you can read, that talk about the fact that when people are cast into the right role where they have the opportunity to expand and, and to really leverage those, those strengths, those passions, those convictions, the acceleration of their performance is significant. And, and so as, as a business leader, I know for myself, like I don't look at people and want to understand like, where did you work? What industry have you been in? You know, how many years have you been doing X? It's, it's all about what the, the, the potentiality is of, of their abilities. And when I, when I can identify those in people, most of the time you, you need some type of, of, of third party assessment or something to understand that. But when you, when you start to, to look at people at that level of depth, you start to reconfigure in your mind the way that you build roles, the way that you hold people accountable, the things that you measure them towards. I mean, it's, it's, I use the example all the time about myself. Like for years, people have tried to make me an organized, detail-oriented person. That is not the way my brain functions. The people who have recognized that I am all over the board and, and I, I throw ideas out there and, and help people go and then step out of the way, the people that have done that have gotten the greatest performance out of me. And, and my previous boss, David Ossip, um, who's the CEO of Ceridian, recognized that early in my career at Ceridian, and he got out of my way and let me go do the <laughs> things I was, I was phenomenal at. Does that mean you're going to have a job that's perfect? No, let's be honest. We all have to do things that maybe we're not good at. But yeah. if we can recalibrate our brains to think about human potentiality and leveraging the majority of a person's potentiality and strength, then those other mundane tasks or those non-strength areas can be, can be kind of diverted far more easily than the way they are now. I mean, I have a 21-year-old daughter who just graduated from college. She's like, mom, I don't even know where to begin to figure out how to take what I'm passionate about, the degree I just earned, and translate that into a job at a company. Like none of the job descriptions I'm reading fit. Well, think about how many of Caitlin's there are out there right now that have just graduated and have no idea where to enter the workforce to leverage their potential and the, the education that they've built. Some of them won't leverage their education um, yeah. because it'll be irrelevant, but it would be so much easier if we could help navigate the waters for these, these young minds who want to go be exceptional. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's a completely different kind of HR than the HR that that we've traditionally seen operating in many companies where, you know, it's all by the book. It's all what's, com you know, the compliance piece of it, uh, the administration, the transaction. I know it drives you crazy. It and, makes and me nuts. <laughs> I know. Um, and, and you're talking about the kind of HR that people are wishing to have. And I call it the best HR that exists, right? When, when people, uh, when HR leaders and practitioners can bring the best out of their employees and not force them into doing things a certain way. It's more about conveying the why and the, and the long-term vision and purpose mm -hmm. of that company and, you know, unleashing people's talents and creativity to get, get it done. So I want to go back to something that, that you said before, and, and it is about who you are as an HR leader. You know, you think about, I, I, I'm imagining your brain, uh, in different directions, different initi initiatives, different practices, and whatnot. How do you how do you build teams where 
people like yourself can also be complemented by those who are more, you know, I want to do this task that I have in my hand right now. And when I complete it, I move on to the next one. But if I don't complete it, I can't, you know, I just, I just got, mm -hmm. I just have to get it done. So how do you build teams that can complement each other in that way? Well, again, I think it goes back to really understanding the core set of strengths of each of the individuals within a, a team infrastructure and under, understanding not just how they work, but how they relate to one another. You know, I, I joked about me being um, not a, a highly organized individual. You know, I, I was put through numerous trainings over the course of my career. I think I've gone through Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Successful <laughs> People three times, and I've taken literally away nothing that has improved um, my, my organizational skills. What, what improved my organizational skills was selecting an exceptional executive assistant who complemented all the things that, that I don't do well. And, and we formed a, a relationship and partnership where we, we leveraged each other's strengths. And, and I think that's the thing is, we've got to start thinking about how we build teams, not based necessarily on the just the functional elements, but the things that people are, are really good at. And the people that like to be able to complete the first task and the second task and the third task, that's actually a strength. Like yeah. I, I know that people talk about that and they're like, oh, that person's so, you know, <laughs> so laser focused or, or that is a strength and, and it's one that I don't have. And, and so it's, it's looking at what the needs of the teams are and, and how people relate to one another and working at ways to build diversity of thought, um, diversity of opinion, diversity of experience, and diversity of strength. And I, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talk about diversity. And, and I think as HR leaders, we get so laser focused on diversity has to do with, you know, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, those things. Diversity is, is far bigger. And when we yeah. think about the diversity of teams in terms of their strength, their potentiality, that's when we can start building teams at an entirely different level. And, and it's all about complementing one another um, and, and leveraging the collective strengths of a group of, of human beings to produce outputs. And, you know, we always talk about fit. Um, I don't like the word fit because I think when we start to build teams or cultures on fit, you, you actually strip away diversity of opinion, yeah. diversity of thought, diversity of strength and talent. You create um, like an echo chamber that is always the same thing. You do, you do. And, and here's the thing, I wanna, I wanna select people onto my team that have far greater capabilities that I do that can go on to well outperform me in the future because as a leader, that's my job, is to, to make people better than when they came to the organization and to be able to outperform me in a future world, if we start thinking like that versus being so territorial and so focused on job title and job function, um, that's when you you open up the limitless possibility and opportunity that human beings bring to the roles that they're in. That is that is fascinating, and I want to connect that with this idea of sort of the evolving role of of leadership, especially because of all that's going on in the world right now with the with the coronavirus. And, and one of the things that I have found more uh, to be the most interesting out of this tragedy is that leaders, the good leaders, are coming forward more, uh, more human than they were before, meaning they are acknowledging when they don't have the answers to the questions that the organization is asking. They are showing themselves as the human, you know, the mom, the dad, the dog owner, the cat owner, you know, th that they are. And we are, we are looking into their, their lives like we never did before. 
And that's the kind of leadership that you're describing, a leadership that is mm-hmm. more human, that really brings the best out of people. What, what do you see in addition to that, you know, resurgence of humanity in leadership? What do you see as, as the role and, and the evolution of leadership, if you will, going forward, not only during the pandemic, but when we get out of this darkness or, or period of darkness that we're going through right now? Yeah, you know, I've always been a firm believer that the, the top two characteristics of a, a really good leader are humility and vulnerability. And I think that's, that's, that's going towards what you're speaking about, Enrique, like the, the, the fact that people are becoming, or not becoming, but being comfortable displaying more of the human side of them is, is all about that. It's about being vulnerable. It's about popping on the webcam, you know, with no makeup and a ponytail in. <laughs> I do that frequently, by the way. Um, and not feeling judged or not feeling like that's an inappropriate way to show up. Showing up comes in all sorts of, of ways and, and it looks different for every individual. And, I, and, and as we kind of transition into this new now of work or future of work, it's going to be even more important for leaders to become real, to be vulnerable, to share what's working, to share their missteps. Um, I remember uh, it was early on in my career at Ceridian where I disclosed to my team a major mishap that I led where I fell flat on my face in front of our CEO. Um, And I talked about how I, you know, put myself up, moved forward, what I did to resolve that. And after that call, I received more emails from people that said, out of everything you said to us today, we heard you talk about vulnerability mm-hmm. and that made you even more of a, a great leader to us than all this other stuff, like the recognition we receive and the awards that we get. That, that's completely irrelevant. Um, those things come because of leadership that is humble, that has a sense of humility, that is okay with bringing their whole self to the table. Um, and I think that's what I'm worried about is some leaders are doing a good job at that right now, but when things start to transition into our next new normal, um, that some of that's going to go away. I think yeah. the leaders that are truly authentic and genuine in the way they're, they're behaving now, will, they'll stay the course. If anything, this is accentuating that. For those that this is not a natural behavior for, they're going to resort back to the way they were. And what's going to hurt them the most is that they demonstrated it for a period of time. And then they're going to move away from that. And that's going to build a significant like lack of trust between yeah. the people and the, the leadership. And so I think for organizations, they need to redefine what, what exceptional leadership looks like and redefine that profile And if humility and vulnerability are not at the top of the the capabilities that leaders are looking for when selecting or promoting new leaders, they too will fall flat on their face. Do you think those leaders have a chance to continue to be leaders going forward in in this new normal that we're going to be getting into after all this craziness that's happening? Unfortunately, yes. Um, and, and, but it, it's going to be, their opportunities for success are going to be far today because more and more organizations, their CEOs, their CHROs are now demanding something different for the future. Let's be honest, there are going to be organizations that resort right back to their behavior pre-COVID and they'll continue to have success in those organizations for a period of time. When people start to leave because they feel secure that they can go find another job or another way to make ends meet, 
then that success will wane and they eventually will falter. But they'll, they'll, they'll continue down their path for a time because let's be honest, right now, people are nervous. They, they're not yeah. willing to make the decisions that maybe they need to make for fear of not being able to find new employment. Yeah, yeah. I, and I love that you're talking about that because, you know, I, of course, I've been getting asked these questions, you know, very often. And there's going to be a transition period where, you know, a lot of these millions of people that are out of job will have to get whatever, you know, comes, comes along without really thinking whether the company, you know, cares about the people or not because, well, you know, uh, uh, you need the money to pay bills. Mm -hmm. But eventually, when, when we are back on more economic and social and political stability, people will start to, you know, rethink about, you know, is this mm -hmm. the right place for me? And hopefully the answer will be, well, you know, if the place, if this workplace changed and, and became more human, cared more about their people and the wellness and the well-being of their people, I can stay here. But if the answer is no, uh, you know, I just have to move on. Uh, and that's what we Absolutely. were seeing before the pandemic. I mean, mm -hmm. before the pandemic, we were in a more sort of employee candidate driven market where people had the opportunity to make decisions based on what company was treating their people well. Uh, but of course, now we are in a, in a very difficult situation, but hopefully this is going to change. And, and, um, and we're going to go back to, well, not go back. We're going to go forward to something that's, mm -hmm. that is even better than, than what we were building uh, before. You talk about humility, vulnerability. There's, I, I recently talked about trust, right? And trust mm -hmm. having a two, you know, being, a, being the currency for leadership these days and having two sides, uh, if you will. One is trusting your team that they will do the work that they need to do, do to make things happen. And the other one is trusting your team in a sense that when you come forward with humility and vulnerability, there won't be judgment, but instead there will be support up, if you will. What mm -hmm. do you think about that? Because, you know, like traditionally we think about leaders as, well, these guys have all the answers to all the questions or they are the ones making decisions and all those kind of things. But because of the uncertainty of what we're going through right now, uh, you know, if leaders come forward with humility, vulnerability, and trust their teams, they can say, well, you know, this is the problem we have, and I don't have the answers to that. So how can we all resolve this problem together? So do you have any, any what are your thoughts on that uh, in trust and trusting people to not judge you, but to support you? Yeah, listen, I mean, you know, it goes back to, um, and I, I have to give Steve Jobs credit for, for this, but, you know, he used to talk about the fact that, like, when, at his time in Apple, he was very deliberate in selecting smart people, giving them the resources to do their role, and then getting the hell out of their way. <laughs> you know, like, that's what we are here to do as leaders. We are to select people um, for, for whatever roles or, or build roles around them, and then give them the resources they need and step out of their way. Um, when you do that, that initially builds trust with people. That demonstrates to them that, hey, you know, you've put forward um, expectations and, and you're going to allow me to go deliver on them. You know, as it, as it relates to the other side of that question, here's what I would say. Um, you know, it, as, as an HR leader, I learned very early in my career that, A, I didn't have all the answers um, because as, for those of you that don't know me uh, that are listening to this, I didn't grow up in HR. I'm a sales and product expert. Um, by design and by career experience, but I've spent almost my entire career in, in kind of the talent management state space and understanding people. And what I've learned is that the answer to every single question, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I say every single question that I didn't have the answer to, somebody within the organization did. The challenge was 
they either did not have comfort in expressing their opinions or giving that, or they didn't have the authority to actually come forward because they didn't have a platform to action is and get closest to those people. That's where the answers lie. And if you can demonstrate that over and over and over again, people will learn that that is, that is just how you behave. That's what you bring to the table. And they will be far more open to speaking up and using their voice when you give them that platform. Because A, you're demonstrating to them that you're vulnerable. And in the same breath, you're also demonstrating that it's okay to take risks and to speak up because people are there to support you no matter the outcome of it. And, and I think when those things come together, that's where that's really how trust starts to build and and can expand very very rapidly i love that and i love that what you're talking about is not just trust from leadership but trust across the board you know when you create that environment uh, you know your teammates will be way more understanding and, and sometimes even forgiving about you know uh, failures and 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 risk but they will be more uh, supportive i, I love that uh, listen i want to switch gears here because there's something that I really love about your career, and that is that you have been in several um, industries, if you will, mm -hmm. in several different um, uh, areas of expertise. It's a, you know, a little bit like myself, you know, I'm an engineer, now I'm in HR, mm -hmm. and I, I always <laughs> love that cross-pollination of ideas. What, you know, what, what has been useful, valuable, successful in your perspective, you know, from the combination of your, of your expertise in different areas? And how would you inspire others that are in one field of expertise and they want to jump into other? So it's a two-part question in there. Yeah, so, you know, I, yeah, as you mentioned, um, you know, it was funny because when, when David came to me at Ceridian to ask me to lead HR, uh, a heart attack. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I've spent my entire career trying to stay away from HR. Um, you know, and, and, and what I realized is that actually he was giving me an opportunity to transform human resources into something that was far more about the people and the culture of the organization. And to me, that, that was a, a wonderful opportunity. But what has made me so successful in transforming into a people and culture leader is understanding kind of all of the other elements of how a business functions, what makes a business work in all of those different areas from sales to service delivery to, to product to engineering, but not so much because of what the function does, but the types of people and behaviors in those people that make each one of those functions successful. Because at the end of the day, people are what make companies work. It's, it's not machines, it's not widgets, it's, it's, not, it's not anything else, it's people. And, and what I've been able to do is study successful people in each of those roles. And let's be honest, as a leader, that's what our job is. It, and and don't, be, don't be mistaken, we, we, yes, we have to generate revenue, we have to keep our customers happy, we have to do all that stuff that gets reported to an executive team or a board. But in reality, our jobs as leaders are really studying the behaviors and potentiality of the humans that work for us and understanding how to take those, leverage them, and, and develop an ex a series of experiences that allow them to be the best version of themselves at and away from work. And to me, that's why I've been successful because I didn't just go learn the job. Yeah, I learned how to sell. I learned how to, to build products and, and I haven't learned how to code. I don't think that's in my, my <laughs> wheelhouse. So I bless your heart for being able to be an engineer. But here's the thing, I didn't just learn that. I learned 
what skill sets and what behaviors and, and what experiences allow the people within those different roles to be highly successful and to accelerate their growth and, and to bring all of that back together and, and wrap it up and, and package it in a nice bow made me a perfect candidate to be a people officer because it, it wasn't about sitting in HR and building policies and programs for compliance and, and to keep us out of you know litigation. It was to create exceptional and world-class experiences in and out of the workplace for our people and for their families. And so my, my recommendation to people who are looking at, you know, potentially going from HR to product or product to sales, like make sure that you are studying not just the role or the function, but you're studying the behaviors and capabilities of the people who are exceptional in all of those different areas and taking every learning opportunity that you can get from them. Because again, I can give you a job description and you can go execute on some of that, but it's, it's more about what defines success in those different areas. And, and that's, again, the, the potentiality of those people that are in those roles. That is such a powerful advice. And, and I, when people ask me some sort of the same question, I, I tell them, you know, go to LinkedIn and go look at the people who have made the same transition you want to make mm-hmm. and look at what the, the successful ones and look at what they have done in their careers, what they have learned, how they've done it. Because you may be lost now in, in, the, you know, in, in the journey of your transition, but by looking at those folks who have made the transition and have been successful in doing it, you will have some hints of what you need to learn, the kind of skills and capabilities you need to embrace, uh, where you need to focus. So I'm loving, I'm loving the fact that you bring all the, the skills and capabilities that made you success in each of these roles together in the work that you're doing now in the people space. So that's, uh, that's fantastic. Um, well, let, me, let me just add, sorry to interrupt you, but I, sure, I, would, absolutely. I would add one more thing. Like, Part of the reason why I, I stepped out of the corporate world and, and decided to go you know, start my own coaching and consulting practice was to be able to help people do that. And here's the thing. We do not invest enough in ourselves. We expect our organizations to invest in us. We expect them to, you know, to send us to training or whatever. And I've been fortunate along the way that I've had a couple of significant mentors that I, I grabbed a hold of and I utilized them in every way, shape or form possible to help me invest in myself. And, and I became self-aware of where maybe I didn't have strength and I accepted that. I didn't dwell on it. I accepted it and I moved on to go invest in the areas where I am exceptionally talented, which we all are in certain areas. But again, I, I think that's a thing that I would tell anybody on this, this podcast right now is, if you are looking to make that change now more than ever, you need to invest in yourself. And whether that's going through a training, finding yourself a life coach, an executive coach, whatever that is, go do it. A couple of thousand dollars investment is well worth a lifetime of happiness and engagement and passion by doing what you love and are good at versus waking up every Monday morning going, oh God, I got to go back to work. Mm -hmm. The investment will pay off a hundred times over. That is, that is fantastic. And you know, you know what's interesting? I, there was a, this study by Upwork. They did it in 2017. They discovered three things that, out of all the research, three things that I think are fascinating. Number one, of course, this was pre, pre-coronavirus. Number one, that by the year 2027, more than 50% of the American workforce was going to be doing some kind of freelancing work. Mm-hmm. That was one. The second thing, that, that may change, of course, because of all that's happening, but that was fascinating. The second thing is that 
they found that at the very beginning of the journey of geek workers, people were doing it for money. But mm -hmm. then the rationale changed to doing it for fun because they yep. liked it. And that's very powerful. And the third thing that I found fascinating in that research is that people who do work, geek worker work, they are way more likely, I think it's something like four times more likely to invest in themselves than people who work mm -hmm. in a company as employees. Mm -hmm. Because they have this mindset of, if I am not up to date, I'm not going to be hired by, to do some gig work. So how, how do you bring that mindset to employees who are, I don't want to say comfortable, of course, because there's always a risk of losing your job, but there's, I'm going to say a little bit more comfort and stability than those who are doing consulting work like yourself. So how do you bring that mindset into the millions of people who are full-time employees? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I remember a quote one day and I, I don't know if it was by Richard Branson. I think it was by Richard Branson that said something to the effect of like, what happens if we invest in people and they leave? Well, what happens if we don't invest in them? Uh, and, and I think that's, that's a really powerful thing is, is as organizations, we have an opportunity right now specifically to grossly flip on its head this concept of, of training and education. Like we can't continue to look at the investment in people on a per diem. I mean, I, I remember in organizations I worked at prior to Ceridian, it's like, okay, well, everybody has $2,000 a year to spend on training. Oh, for God's sakes. Like, um, that, that's just, that's such a short-sighted methodology for the way that we go about investing in people. And, and again, I don't think we, I don't think people think through just the logical application of this is investment doesn't always mean financial. Mm -hmm. you, you can create an, a, an exceptional and stellar sponsorship program in an organization where you are actually creating advocacy and opportunity for individuals through experience, through exposure, through building a set of expertise. I mean, there's lots of different things that we can do, but here's the problem. The, the executive team of many organizations will not drastically change their approach to this because they focus on the financial impacts. Mm -hmm. If we throw out the, 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 the philosophy that it's all about the financial piece and we look at it in terms of driving human potentiality, which impacts human performance, then we start to look at it differently. And, and so as, as HR leaders, you know, I would, I would really, really challenge you to start thinking differently. Don't think about it in terms of training. Don't think about mm -hmm. it in terms of, you know, like just mentoring, like fundamentally start to understand where your business is, is moving towards and, and where you're headed and how you can continuously invest in the capabilities organizationally of the people across the organization. And it, it again, it doesn't have to be significant. Um, yeah. Some of the best sponsorship and mentoring programs I've seen um, have cost no money. I mean, my mentor yeah. that, that I actually am getting ready to work on a consulting engagement with, I've spent no money actually having her mentor me, but I have learned so much now the woman leader, the mom, the, the executive that I am today. And there was, there was no financial transaction between yeah. us. Yeah. That's, that, that's, fa it's, it's fascinating. And, and actually I'm smiling because uh, very recently I talked about that and I, I, my engineering mindset came forward and I said, that's the, that's the difference between output and outcomes. Mm -hmm. If you measure outputs, what you're measuring is how many hours of training, how much money people are getting for their training. But that's not what matters. What matters mm -hmm. is what happens after the impact that you are achieving. So you should be focusing on outcomes. And one of them is, like you said, is unleashing human potential, talents, creativity, and, and whatnot. So this is fascinating, Lisa. And, and as we wrap up this conversation, 
I, I want to ask you this, this last question that I'm asking to all my guests is what excites you about the future and what scares you or concerns you about the future? Oh my goodness. Of course, you're going to leave <laughs> me with a really profound question. <laughs> the philosophy uh, of life. <laughs> I, I know, right? Well, well, here's the thing. I will, I will say this. Um, what really excites me is that as we, as we continue to shift and, and transform, I truly believe that organizations and, and people alike are shifting towards what, what I like to call kind of more human-centric goals. Back to the mm -hmm. conversation that we were talking about earlier, they are demonstrating and displaying far more of that humility, that vulnerability, that empathy. Like we, we are truly demonstrating a very human-centric side of ourselves in all the roles coming forward. And, and, and again, not just in HR roles and not just leadership, but in all roles. Um, and, I, and I think that's, that's really, really exciting because as crazy as the world is right now, I still have great confidence in the, the human race to do exceptional things um, and, and to be able to, to surpass the challenges that we're, we're facing right now. What scares me is that at the same time we are shifting to more human-centric roles, um, we're starting to see there be a lower touch business model in many organizations. Um, you know, we're, there's something as simple as handshaking and hugs. Obviously, yeah. I know we can't do that right now, but the longer that, that some of this prevails, the more concerned I am that we will go, we will continue down these paths that we've started, that some of the, the business models that we've seen in the past will be maintained with far more spatial, uh, spatial <laughs> distancing. Um, and that concerns me because for somebody who's highly, highly extroverted and, and thrives off connectivity, um, I don't want to live in a world like that. And, and, and yeah. so I, I think those two things running in parallel will at some point, they'll, they'll hit ahead. Um, and, and we'll have to figure out how we navigate through those two things. Absolutely. And I think there's going to be a, a lot of um, a lot of work for us to find a way to balance things like we're going through right now, where we need some social distancing, with the fact that human connection is is powerful and actually is among the three main uh, sources of happiness. Uh, you know that human connectivity that you're talking about, Lisa. This was a fantastic conversation. I'm loving that you were with me here today. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invite. I always love my time with Enrique. So anytime I can connect with you, it's always my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Listen up to the next podcast. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.